Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home and another portfolio profile episode. We're going to talk to another great startup that the Ride Home Fund has invested in. Today we're going to talk about Readocracy. We're going to talk to uh, the co-founder of Readocracy, Mario Vasilescu. He's actually sitting, if you can hear the sound quality again, in my kitchen across from me at the kitchen table. So this is another uh, kitchen table episode, if you will. Mario, thanks for coming and uh, talking to us today. It's my pleasure. Honor to be here. I hear these are special, so uh, I'm, yes. excited. I'm excited. People s- tend to like them. I guess it's because, I don't know, when you're doing stuff in person, maybe it's always better. Yes, <laughs> than, I think so. Than virtual and remote. <laughs> um, so let's just start with the quick sort of um, what is Readocracy? What are we doing with Readocracy? Um, mm-hmm. And then we'll go into a little bit of, of the founding story. Sure. Uh, so Redocracy, as you probably gather from the name, comes from reading, times meritocracy, supporting democracy. Uh, we give you credit for all the content you consume. So all the huge amount of time you spend online reading articles, watching YouTube videos, reading papers, all that, uh, you normally have nothing to show for that. Uh, everybody else has data, you have none. Uh, we make it count. So privately, uh, we give you insights that are like a Fitbit for your mind. So you start understanding how your consumption is affecting your mood, your anxiety, your bias, all that stuff. And then publicly, we actually turn it into credentials in some cases uh, that are defensible in, in terms of school uh, and jobs. And also uh, basically like an intellectual portfolio page that lets you prove yourself on any subject you are passionate about using the time you're spending anyways. So credentialed, you mean that in the actual sense of the word so that I could get credit for being an expert in a certain area if I've done enough reading or watching or listening? Yeah, so there's kind of two ways. One is literally just showing it. So one of the issues we see is that uh, schools and the way we think of school has abstracted credentials where you get this piece of paper, you get a badge, and you just rely on the brand Mm -hmm. to be credible, Mm -hmm. but then you have no idea about the learning the person did. We think it's important that you add some transparency there. So the first piece is just here's a page where with data, and also by scrolling through and quickly filtering, you can literally see what's in my mind and my annotations and the time I spent. The other side, yes, the other side is actual credentials. So if a expert says, hey, me and my friends think you should read these eight articles and two books on neuroscience, and we're experts in neuroscience, Redocracy will know that you actually did it. And that way we can check it, and there's, and it, basically it's the, it's making credentials programmatic. And there's also credentialed in the sense of this can follow me around the social web, and as you said, um, it's sort of a way of showing people what you do know, even if they don't know you. Exactly. So you can think of this as being really important to trust. Trust in terms of, hey, should I give this person a job even though they might not have the experience I'm looking for? But also trust, hey, should I listen to this person who may be a lunatic online, um, but they seem very like tantalizing in their inflammatory statements. This can be, and, and that's one of the, like, for example, that's one of the integrations we're really excited to roll out soon, which is a Discord integration. Discord can get super noisy. You don't know who you should be listening to. Same thing with Reddit threads. Imagine you suddenly had a little thing injected under each person who posted saying, this person actually knows a lot about the subject or there's nothing there. And so we're doing this, obviously, by plugins and apps and, and, and browser plugins. Yeah, yeah. so uh, that's a really important question, both for how it works, but also the privacy side, which I want to emphasize and is very important to us. Um, it's a, it, the, the core technology, it's because we can tell if somebody actually paid attention to a piece of content, how intensely, it's patent pending. We've worked with leading experts in Israel and the U.S. on this. What we're doing is truly leading edge. Um, it's very hard to game. You can't just leave the page open. You can't just scroll to the bottom. Like It's tough, and it's only getting better and better. 
Um, so that's packaged uh, as a browser extension, as a mobile app, or if you're a website owner, you can literally just put it in your site so that every visitor gets rewarded for spending time with your content and is incentivized to keep coming back. Um, so it's great for quality content creators as well. Uh, from a privacy perspective, you know, using the words that follows you around is terrifying these days. Mm. Uh, so it is very important to emphasize that Redocracy is extremely privacy first. Um, we, first of all, you can, it's designed so that you never, you always know when it's on. It's not like one of those extensions where, you know, you have no idea when it's tracking or what it's tracking. You always can see it and know. Um, it only runs on regular articles, regular PDFs and YouTube videos. It is incapable of turning on an adult content banking content, shopping content. And even if it is what seems like a normal article, but it detects sensitive words, derogatory language and whatnot, it will switch to private just in case. Um, so, you know, we've already been, we, we got an award from Mozilla. Like we're, we're super, super committed to the privacy aspect. All right. Let's talk about you, uh, yes. before we come back to uh-huh. what, what you're doing. Yeah. Um, this is not your first startup, right. but, um, from talking to you over the last year, I can tell that this is something that you're extremely passionate about. So maybe this is your dream startup. Yeah. Um, but real quick, just give me your background and, and your entrepreneurial story. Um, I studied robotics engineering, but halfway through realized it was not for me. Decided to finish because I felt like it was really in a helpful way changing how I think. Mm-hmm. And also to prove a point to myself that I could finish something torturous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but halfway through, I got into social, uh, social impact uh, entrepreneurship and was really into that. So that's kind of how things started. Um, and then I won a competition for the future of work in Canada um, for predicting work in the year 2040. Got picked up by a think tank in Paris. And so I spent just over a year leading innovation projects on like how generations are changing how we work, how technology is changing how we work. And so I think in that process... I really learned a lot about how organizations work, but also the flow of knowledge and the flow of how people behave with technology. And that was, I think, really informative to kind of how I think now. The journey itself is kind of... Our our first startup was still around content, Mm -hmm. and it still had a similar mission of, like, how do we elevate smart people? And, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. if you read a lot, you do a lot of research, like, how do we make that more visible? Um, and so at the time, we had some, what I would say is more like an active annotation tool, like you're highlighting, you present your research, that kind of thing. So it was, I would say, for more academic people, people who are really digging into it. When we would demo, people would love our pitch. Like, I, I can't remember a session where they weren't coming out being like, I need this, this is going to make me more productive, mm-hmm. my life is mm-hmm. chaos now, bookmarks, whatever. Um, but then when they would start using it, there was a browser extension as well, when they would start using it, they would forget to use mm-hmm. it. Uh, and that was when we learned the powerful lesson that uh, bad habits and laziness is like one of the hardest things to break. Mm-hmm. So what we tried to do is we're like, okay, people say they want to use this. They say they keep forgetting. What if we could detect if they were really into a piece of content and instead of having to click the extension, have the bubble, like the buttons appear mm-hmm. and remind them like, hey, maybe you should be doing the thing you said you want to do. And when we did that, um, we, on a whim, added an extra button that was like, well, we've kind of detected that you read this sort of, uh, do you want to claim it? Do you want to claim your reading? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the, uh, the users kind of started using our main thing more, but then they started compulsively claiming their reading. 
and that was like a eureka moment for us. Like even when we stopped updating it, these people were like compulsively trying to get credit. Uh, uh-huh. And so there's a gamification. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We which we really did not expect, and that kind of turned on you know the idea of hey. When people are annotating or adding notes, it's like actually a tiny fraction. If you can actually start valuing and digging into just how they spend their time with information, mm-hmm. that unlocks a whole new world. So that was the kind of the eureka moment for us. Um, and that's kind of how we started getting into the direction of Redocracy. And I would be, I, I do need to mention my brother. I was going to well. say, you keep yeah. saying us, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my brother is my co-founder and CTO. Uh, he's a genius. And he's also the poster child, I think, for what we do with Redocracy, especially from an education perspective. Um, I, I would say I'm autodidactic as well, to a certain degree. Um, I mean, everything I do now with the startup is not really from my engineering degree. Um, but he truly is, you know, somebody who doesn't fit in the current system, but is really smart. And if we would have relied on the current system, God knows where he'd be right now. Um, he was this kid who every parent-teacher interview same thing every time telling my parents like oh he is so smart when he does the work he gets the best grade in the class but that happens like once a semester and Mm. cannot be bothered otherwise Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. fortunately um when he was 13 some a family friend gave us a book called learn html in a weekend and my brother did learn html in that weekend Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh and basically within years he built one of canada's first social networks for students um it had over two hundred thousand members it was doing 40 million hits a month Mm -hmm. uh this was just before facebook and uh this was happening as he was finishing high school yeah and by the traditional standards he was still a failure and could barely get accepted into any college Uh uh-huh and so I think given what we do now, especially in terms of recognition and who gets an opportunity and what learning means, yeah. um, he's, he's kind of poster child for that. So yeah, since, since that point, he kind of went on and built his own proprietary architecture um, from server side all the way to the front end that has supported over half a million users for different clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, um, we're, it's very fortunate that I was born with him in my family. I didn't have to go find yeah. somebody of this talent. <laughs> they always say that um, uh, finding the, the co-founder is the most important hire of any yeah. startup. But So you either you either got lucky or um, you got uh, forced into it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. I love the forums when they ask, oh, how did you meet your co-founder? And like, it's only, that's how they phrase the question. You can't yeah. change it. And you're like, uh, I guess since birth. Yeah. Like, just, yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the things that we talked about you know when we first started talking um is the 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 fact that and and you know listeners to the show will know that this was right up my alley but the idea that when the internet first came around and especially the web um when i was young and coming up and using technology and things like that it was always sold as can you imagine how our world will be changed (laughs) If every person on the planet has access to all of humanity's collected knowledge. And we've got that. And yet that sort of transformation for the good, Mm -hmm. I don't know, has, I don't know that it's exactly shown itself Mm -hmm. uh, yet. Um, And so one of the first things that you said to me in terms of like the why of this company and this idea was just sort of to not rediscover is the right word, but try to bring the focus back to 
the the learning and knowledge and the the straight knowledge potential mm-hmm. of technology as we have it today. Um, so let, let's let's start there and, and yeah, um, and I guess there's two sides of looking at that. Can can I like also? I want to tell this the like the deep down why for me and my brother like from yeah. our family because it ties to this. This really, is the real why why. Yeah, 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 yeah. like maybe maybe not the why you lead with in the pitch, but exactly. Okay, yeah, go ahead. But for people who want to hear the real like yeah. the story yeah. that really motivates us. Sure. Um, we so our family's from Romania in Eastern Europe. Um, my parents left during communism, and growing up, we would hear so many. Uh, stories constantly about our grandparents and great-grandparents because they had been very impressive intellectuals but also just like really impressively civically uh, civic-minded so they would just do these like they were just great people um, in like the you know big-hearted sense of the word and like alongside being very smart and so we kept hearing about this and these became the values I think we grew up with and it just seemed like whether it was um, post-communism corruption in Eastern Europe or like just the Western media ecosystem, it seemed like the world was optimizing for the polar opposite of these values. Mm. So like it wasn't that, you know, people who were informed and helpful and balanced, those were the losers. The winners were like the most agitated, divisive, angry, ignorant. And so, you know, deep down, and then when you talk about the internet giving access to everybody and everybody to be heard, and then a system that optimizes for what I just described yeah. without having a way to optimize for, for like what I grew up these values uh, I was thinking of. I think deep down for us from the very beginning and, again, and now like really with Redocracy is how do, you, how do you provide an alternative so that this internet we have has another way of incentivizing which is scalable, right. Right. appeals to people's egos and vanity but in a healthy way mm-hmm. and allows a different way of deciding you know, how we use this information. So in terms of like you think about the information commons and now that we're all plugged in and have this hive mind, mm-hmm. um, that's, I think, like a really big why in how we'd like to shape it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, there is also the aspects like we can get into um, of, you know, how we value our relationship to the information. Yeah. Well, it's also about how, it's how we measure what happens mm-hmm. on, on the internet in the sense that, um, you know, the, the web has largely been monetized through advertising. Um, advertising is throwing money against attention. Um, and it doesn't, there's no value in the attention. Well, I, there, there's no value in the quality of the attention, but the quantity. So yes. as we've seen with, with social media, um, the thing that has been valued is sort of the addictive nature that just keep watching more, just keep scrolling more, just keep clicking yeah. more. Yeah. Um, but there's no, there's no incentive structure for measuring the, um, there's nothing wrong with cat videos. There's no. nothing wrong with, no. you know, yeah. frivolity and things like that. But, um, there's no incentive structure for measuring for again quality quality and you shouldn't and and that's and so i think that is and these are kind of our two formally our two big whys like that is a a huge missed opportunity economically and secondly it's also incredibly dangerous Mm. uh, for society coming back to your point of like we're all plugged in together Mm -hmm. um so like first of all in terms of the opportunity coming back to like the internet and how you think about it um First of all, again, so there's nothing wrong with cat videos. The issue now is that when you think of advertising, that's a monetization scheme which is designed for the cat video style of content. Mm. When you talk about educational mm-hmm. content mm-hmm. and really informative stuff, mm-hmm. 
the best way of valuing that is not advertising. That, that's, you just use that because that's the only method you have. Logically, when you're talking about really informative educational content, that aligns much more closely to how we value education, mm. right? Like mm. whether it's gaining, like this, we already have a path for this, right? Like what people pay for degrees, certificates, right. memberships, right. educational content. Oh, there's a whole world out there, which by the way, is more valuable than the digital advertising market. Right. People just assume, oh, hey, this is how we have to monetize. Uh, you want me to throw you a, a, data, a data figure that is from your deck and from your... Do you know, Mario, that people are spending over a trillion dollars every year to prove their subject matter credibility by getting things like degrees and yes. credentials and things like yes. that? So it is a huge market. Yes. And, and also, these same people... So first of all, you got these people who spend over a trillion dollars a year through the only methods they know how formally signaling their knowledge. Mm -hmm. While spending so much time online that for most people, this is the other fun fact, mm -hmm. over the course of your life, you will spend as much time consuming content and all the discussions around it mm -hmm. as you would studying for about four college degrees. Mm -hmm. Four college degrees. Right. That's insanity to not have any. Because you want to have another data point that you gave me that I'm going to spit <laughs> back at you. Um, we spend, North Americans spend uh, 13 hours a day with media, whether yeah. it be online or I guess even now there's no distinction there, but yeah. with media. And so um, if you were, even if you're not doing the highest quality stuff all day long, as you're saying, you're still going to sort of through osmosis also learn some stuff Yes, that could be the equivalent of degrees Yes, that you're not getting Look, credit for. Bottom line is that um, institutions uh, kind of, they abstract the relationship with experts, right? You have professors, you have these people affiliated with the institution, but in the end, you just get the, like the, the, the brand of the institution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing a unbundling where you have all these like experts creating their own courses, whatnot. That extends to our entire relationship online. You, you, the, the tendrils of expertise are everywhere online. Right. And so if you could map that, when you spend time with content, which is often created by experts or endorsed by experts because they shared it or they mentioned it on a podcast, if you can map that back, you can create credentials which say like, I spent all this time, you could check it, and also these are all the experts who endorsed it. And so they work at these companies and you should want to hire me type of thing. Like that, it's a different way of looking at our relationship to expertise and reputation. It, because how many times have we heard the stories about like, I learned how to uh, do woodworking or become an electrician by watching YouTube videos. Yes. No one's actually going to give you a license for that right now. Yep. But hopefully in the future they would. Yep. Or if you listen to the entire run of the British history podcast, which I think is, you know, 700 episodes or something like from Roman times through, you know, Liz Truss, like you're talking about, you've listened to hundreds of hours, more than you would ever have spent in any British history. Yep college class. Yep. Um, so when you say measuring and credentialing this, this is kind of, I'm kind of skipping a little bit into like the go to market and things mm -hmm. like that. But so what you're trying to do is create a platform that not only will allow people to, in the background, measure their knowledge intake, mm. but then a platform for say your employer, to be able to credential you for continuous learning and learning new skills. Um, an academic institution yep. to adopt this as a platform. So I'm, totally, totally. Yeah. So that's really important to us. And it's kind of been part of the learning journey of where does this fit in? Um, I think for forward thinking knowledge driven organizations. So what, what I want to, cause you say like, oh, companies can use this in terms of continuing learning. 
the continuing learning space in corporations is, I would argue, toxic mm, <laughs> in terms yeah. of, you know, it's this totally backwards way of thinking about learning where they say, like, we think this counts as good content. And if you don't learn through here, your learning doesn't matter. Mm. Or like, here's a backdoor to, you know, in a very high friction way, pull in your learning. Mm -hmm. And so people, you know, you ask anybody in, in a corporate environment if they use the formal, formal learning, I'm doing air quotes, mm -hmm. formal learning mm -hmm. uh, that their company gave them, like very few will use it and most of them will be like actively antagonized by the proposition. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I just highlight that because like, I don't want people to think we're building like a corporate LMS or anything like that. Right. right. This the point of this is to, again, explode the idea of learning mm -hmm. because it is part of our lives continuously. Mm -hmm. And if you have a learning passport truly that is like data driven, yes, that fits into a company, but it needs to be a company that is investing in their employees learning and professional development because they truly believe in their people not as a means of like surveillance or as a means of like tripling mm -hmm. down right. on their definition of but but within that yes it's super cool that we make it incredibly easy whether it's a professor who has some friends in industry or a company that can look to a specific de department to say hey guys can you just put in what you think are the essential readings or viewings or whatever it may be and your notes on the subject? And with a redocracy, we will be able to know if people work their way through it, whether that's outwardly to clients, whether it's inwardly when people are onboarding into the company. Um, so yes, totally. And then in a classroom environment, that gets super cool because you can start generating hybrid credentials between courses in school and practicing industry experts. Mm -hmm. So students become like pre-vetted as they enter the workforce in a way that companies want. Mm -hmm. um, and that also is kind of like our Trojan horse is not a good word, but, uh, but like, you know, a way we can get into work with academia, despite the fact that at first blush, you might think that mm -hmm. they'd be scared of us. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So let me come to a flip side of a coin even though I think I'm going to have a third side, so um, coins only have two sides. But um, uh, the flip side would be, if we're talking about uh, information diets, mm -hmm. and um, there's all the talk of, uh, you know, um, uh, false information, mm -hmm. misinformation, disinformation. One of the problems is, is that old New Yorker on the internet, no one knows you're a dog, I love that. In the same way that um, you can talk about any, you can go on and talk about nuclear physics, and any idiot in the world on Twitter will come up and tell you you're wrong, <laughs> even though you're a you know a PhD in the field or whatever. So 
one of the things that credentialing and signaling yes. is, I think, a, a term we can use, yeah. um, is we can, if, if we have a platform that is understood and is sort of universal, mm. it'll allow us to identify the people that are yeah. true experts in an area. And I, I'm going to go on a little bit here because this is one of the things that excited me the most about it. And so obviously you say, well, a PhD should um, uh, credential you enough and that should matter and should count. But a PhD could still have a debate online with somebody that's knowledgeable mm-hmm. in a space. Mm-hmm. And so a PhD could know, well, this is a person that knows what they're talking about. And, and one of the things that you and I talked about early on is you think about areas where, especially in recent years, there is no credentialing and there was no tradition of expertise. If you're going to be an expert today in crypto and Web3 stuff, it's all about all the time you spent on a Discord channel and sort of the debates you've had there, the the learnings you've gotten there. And so that's not a PhD. And yet that, you know, the the people that are moving Web3 forward are learning there. And, And so if there was some mechanism to be like, listen, this person knows about, you know, uh, uh, Solana or whatever is yep. because look they've been in in the right Discord channels for, from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, they've learned a lot, and also we can prove that they got positive feedback from others who also learned mm-hmm. a lot. Because mm-hmm. that's the danger when you start saying like, oh, you know, I'm big on Twitter, and like therefore you should listen to me. It's like okay, like are you popular because you write really provocative things? It's the same no thing we were just or, saying. Yeah. Being popular on Twitter or Instagram is the quantity over yes, the quality. Exactly, right? exactly. Exactly. And so if you could change that, and, and that gets to the heart of like, you know, we've talked about this a lot. I'm, I'm a first principles kind of guy. Therefore, in terms of Web3, I'm skeptical of a lot of the aspects. But like when you talk about DAOs, for example, mm-hmm. um, we've seen how many of them flame out when they become anything other than financially oriented. Mm-hmm. Like if they try to mm-hmm. run an organization or a community, right. like it becomes like a tire fire most of the time. Um, what would happen if power could be assigned with how you've committed yourself to the subjects mm-hmm. that the DAO is about? Mm-hmm. That seems like a more rational and safe right. way to scale DAOs with integrity. Right. And so redocracy can become a protocol, and I think as we move in that direction, that's something you know we're, we've looked at, we've talked to a lot of folks in the space, but I also don't think that you need to start there. Right. I think we can talk a lot about how you can have an impact on Web 2, how you can have an impact Web 2.5, and we can also talk about Web 3. Uh, you know, we don't need to... Well, I'm only know. using the Web 3 as an example of an area where uh, yeah subject matter totally. right a subject matter where and web3 likes to use the, the term skin in the game but that's true for any subject matter where yes. it's like skin in the game is also time spent in the space yeah right and uh, I think I, I said to you the first time we talked that like one of the things that I has held true from the first time I ever went on the internet is in weird little pockets of the internet there are people that if you go to the right discord channel or the right message board in 1995 people will rise to the top and become the king or queen of that message board and be the go-to no one in the universe would know that this person is an expert but if you've spent enough time there they've qualified themselves to you and you know you can trust them and so what's so fascinating to me is this is an attempt to solve the big problem of like sort of organizing that yeah, uh, and allowing the, the the example I used to you is when I was day trading in the late 90s, there was a guy on the Yahoo message boards that absolutely knew his stuff. If you could have followed his picks, he would have made a ton of money, but there's no way he ever would have been on CNBC 
because I don't know who the hell he was. He was like some retired judge or something in Western Pennsylvania. Like, but he knew what he was talking about in terms of day trading and stuff. And so like when we're talking, we're talking about this in the lens of learning and expertise, but what we're also talking about here is credentialing and that can apply to so no, exactly in the world. Yeah. This, this is the issue. We think of education in this like super narrow artificial way, which was invented before the internet, by the way. Mm-hmm. And this is why it's so disjointed. And we have a issue of supply and demand where we can't match it because mm-hmm. we're like super mm-hmm. fast information highway mm-hmm. and jobs defined by it. And this ridiculous system, which requires institutional manual verification happens at four years at a time. Like it's absurd when you think about it objectively, mm-hmm. but coming back, like again, it's the signaling of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Right. If anybody's read the posts, uh, status signaling as a service or any of that stuff, like education is valuable if you're intellectually curious. Of course, it has its own value. But in terms of how it maps to society, it needs to be able to be signaled and people need to be able to trust it. And we have an issue now where all this learning that happens, if it doesn't happen through these like gatekeepers, you know, you're stuck. Right. And so we need better ways. And secondly, not signaling, but also self-evident signaling something that somebody can believe in within the first 15 seconds. Uh, so that you don't have to say like, oh, well, how do I decide? You're you're in a space online, whatever, and and it's like, oh, but this little redocracy credential is following this person around, mm-hmm. and so I can give that a certain amount of credence. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so you can you can hover on it. Mm-hmm. So when redocracy is integrated, you can hover and actually shows you all the time the person spent. You can scroll, you can see the data. So it's not like oh, redocracy says like. Who cares about redocracy? The point is that it should be self-evident. Right. And the credentials we generate come with a QR code, whether it's on your resume, whether it's on LinkedIn, wherever you want. And if you scan it, it will pull up a full transcript that immediately at the top has the data, mm-hmm. has the most important things the person thought were the most valuable to their learning, their annotations, and the most helpful things they said to others who know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And if you still don't believe that, there's a link at the very top, big, that says, not sure you should trust this, click here. And within 30 seconds, you will see it working on your own attention. Mm-hmm. And so, again, self-evident. You shouldn't have to trust the redocracy brand. It should speak for itself. Okay, as I promised, the third side to the coin is what you sort of mentioned with your first startup and learning that mm-hmm. um, this sort of gamification, which I, I would generally use as a pejorative, even in this sense, yeah, yeah. except for the fact that the third side of the coin is if if you understand that and you start to see this credentialing gaining purchase around different spaces, then you have an incentive. You're incentivized to be like, all right, how do I raise my score? Yeah. Because then it would be, I want to get in on these conversations. I want people to listen to what I have to say. And so the incentive or the, the gamification would actually be, all right, what do, where do I have to go? What do I have to read? What do I have to watch that will, put me on the same level yeah. as these people. And give me access to these discussions that I can only earn exactly. if I've read the required things or if I've hit the right, right. level, which Redocracy is able to facilitate very right. easily. Right. Um, yeah, that's that's a different way of kind of thinking about the internet, uh, which is very, very important. But it's also yeah. how <laughs> education, again, we keep hitting the same points yeah. in different from different angles. Yeah. That's how education always functioned because why do you want to go to Harvard? Because I want to get in the room where it happens. They won't let people in unless I've been to Harvard or Yale. I'm never going to become a Supreme yeah. Court justice unless I've gone to the right law schools. I'm yeah. never going to get in the, you know, the, the internship at, at, at the right place in, in Wall Street unless I went to the right business school. You know, that's what education has always been. And when we talk about democratizing it, it really hasn't been democratized because it's only gotten more expensive. 
It's only gotten more exclusive. And so if we do live in an environment where all of human knowledge is, by and large, of course, not everyone's online, but more accessible than it's ever been to more people on the planet than ever before, then we have to be able to find a way to think differently about how to credential the knowledge gain. Yeah, so two points on that, okay. which I'm so glad you prompted me into because, yeah, we didn't. So one is it's the simple fact that um, when, and this is the first thing you said, so what we, we have this incredible thing, the internet, it, it ripped down the walls of the gatekeepers in terms of access to information. But we don't realize that, you know, when we talk about the promise of the internet, anybody will be able to learn but in terms of how we value our relationship to the information, mm-hmm. not just accessing, but valuing formally mm-hmm. the relationship to the information, that hasn't changed. That's still stuck behind the gatekeepers. Yep. And so the whole value of the whole thing is stunted. And that when you talk about like, oh, it's still stuck behind these things, of course, because we have this miraculous thing which gives you access, but nobody gives a shit. It, like, there's no way of measuring it. There's no way of signaling it. And coming back to the point of signaling, we've made redocracy so that, that that profile you get, that intellectual, that personal landing page of your life's learning, that you choose to share. You choose what's public, just to be clear. We've made it so that it is packaged in what we call assets so that you can take that page and put it everywhere where somebody decides if they should trust you. Mm-hmm. It comes with LinkedIn upgrades. It comes with Twitter upgrades. It comes with resume upgrades, presentation upgrades, like literally everywhere that you would want to signal. Because when we talk about like, oh, I, you know, I, I want to be able to be in the room and so Harvard, this and that. The other thing we forget is that Degrees are not even enough. People are already doing this in a totally roundabout way. Think about the fact that the majority of professional activity on LinkedIn, on Twitter, mm-hmm. and you could argue the newsletter boom, mm-hmm. is people posturing around subjects they want to be respected on. Mm-hmm. Because a degree is not enough. It often pigeonholes you. It's irrelevant as you get further and further from it. You're not going to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And so people are like always signaling. Mm-hmm. That is like a tiny trace when they share that one article, when they share that one comment, when they finally find the time and they do extra work to do it. That is such a convoluted, ridiculous way to signal this invisible labor they're doing, right? Mm, mm -hmm. And so this is about, you know, Harvard makes you look cool because it's a brand. This is about, you know, exploding that idea of this abstracted brand and distributing it across all the touch points with data Mm -hmm. so that your intellectual labor authentically counts um, wherever you want and how you want. The um, Coming back to the idea of quantity versus quality, again, when you're saying like the, the experts on Twitter, the substackers or whatever, every single one of these platforms that I've seen for 25 years, there's an advantage to being the first. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard if that's why the vine stars, you yeah. know, because, because if you're first to something, if you know, the, the people that are big on Substack were already big in another arena or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's harder to, one of the things potentially for social media, that this is a problem that redocracy could attack is that to, to get the 300,000 followers on Twitter or to, to be able to make a living at a Substack, you're already behind the eight ball and the people that got there first and planted their flags first have this sort of stranglehold on the conversation. You, you just learn about a new thing in, in crypto. I've come back, come back to crypto, but you know, people got to it six months before. Oh, I'm too late. Except yeah. so this would allow a way to get on a level playing field without having to be there first. Yes. Which, so when we're talking about democratizing 
and signaling, this is a way that it is sort of leveling the playing field as opposed to just the person that you know got there when the coin was you know, exactly half a penny right? exactly and and also we are very mindful of this even so we have we have community badges that you can get which like if you're in the top 20% on a subject in terms of consumption you are well read if you're in the top 20% of contributing like you are super helpful you are well respected these things you can earn it and it shows if it was all time so this happened at some point in the past or if it's like recent you also mm-hmm. get it if it was just mm-hmm. the past month mm-hmm. and people can see that so that people don't feel like oh I like it's too late for me like right. why would I bother cold start problem like no like you can still be respected if you put in the time starting now um, so this sounds great and all sort of pie in the sky idealistic stuff but um, what are we doing right now? What, like, give me the the state of Readocracy if I go and I sign up for it. Uh, first of all, I go and I sign up for it and I do the plugins or whatever, I create the profile and and start reading. And mm. it's just plug and play, easy to easy to do that. It's plug and play, and I want to make sure I, I want to come back also because I feel like I, I dodged you on the on the information diet part, so I want to come back. Oh, for okay, that. Sure. but but um, it is. It kind of touches on that. It is plug and play. We have a wait list. We've been like very careful. I think we followed the kind of the superhuman uh, approach, carefully letting people in, making sure we get people who really get it. Um, and so we've done that for the past year. Uh, in a couple of months, we are planning to uh, open it up. Mostly, uh, you'll still have to read a short page that says like, "Do you understand what it means to be a good information citizen?" If you don't read it, you don't even see the sign up button because we're using Readocracy, which is kind of neat. Uh, it's like a terms of service of not being an asshole that, uh, that is built in. Uh, so, so yeah, it's just that. You sign up, and once you add the extension, uh, you're off to the races, and you'll see your insights starting to populate. You'll, you know, you'll start getting the, the uh, professional and social upgrades. The idea is that it's freemium, so you use it for free, the basics, and for a month, you have almost everything for, for like included. And after a month, it rolls back to the basic account, and if you want to get you know, the LinkedIn upgrades, if you want the advanced insights about your mind, these things are paid. Like that's how we monetize. We will never sell anybody's data. It's in our uh, guiding principles. Um, so that's kind of how we, we structure it. Want a better way to simplify your business finances across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? If so, Ramp could be a complete game changer. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spend. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Ramp's accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so you don't have to. You'll never have to chase down a receipt again and your employees will no longer spend hours submitting expense reports. The time you'll save each month on employee expenses will allow you to close your books eight times faster. Ramp's also saves you money. Businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% the first year. Ramp is easy to use. Get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. And now, get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash techmeme. Ramp.com slash techmeme. R-A-M-P dot com slash techmeme. Well, and... Um Again, that sounds great. Maybe I'm motivated to go sign up and better myself, but also to the degree that you can talk about this because you know some of these things that you've been doing are not for public consumption yet, but you're also working with organizations, mm-hmm. uh, 
corporations, uh, academia, various institutions and things like that, that this is sort of a platform that um, will hopefully see people integrating into traditional learning. So you might find your way into Redocracy. Yes. Can you give me an example? A great example is a fantastic institution, which I always love promoting uh, because I love what they do. They're called the Knowledge Society. You may or may not have heard about them. Uh, they punch way above, you know, the, the scale of what they have. Basically, they, they, their idea. Was, okay, uh, they were thinking it's two brothers actually, Can- also coincidentally Canadian, that I guess made it in the valley, came back to Canada, and they set up this international alt school, uh, which was saying, well, if we want to change the world, maybe the best way is to find the smartest teenagers in the world and equip them to immediately start making change instead of having to wait there and respect or you know grind it up. So um, there, they have a school set up for this. It's international. They have American students, Canadian students, international students um, that are just terrifyingly brilliant. Uh, they are some of the top users on Redocracy. The volume of quality research papers and content that these kids consume is horrifying compared to like how it makes me feel about myself. <laughs> but but uh, they, uh, they're basically going to be using Redocracy um, more and more across, you know, uh, Already, the, already a bunch of their students use it a ton, and they have a really neat model around credentialing in terms of students have to work their way through the material. There's you know brands that come and sponsor credentials, so they're ready for industry, and so that's like one example of how you can use it in one institution that's using it. But like that, that use case is what we're doing with a variety of uh, schools and also formal colleges, universities. And what's really exciting is uh, I, I can't mention the names yet, but there's. Um, some really big upskilling, reskilling, jobs programs, rethinking employment and the pipeline from school to employment in America that we are starting to work with. Uh, another side of the coin is <laughs> what this could do for creators. Uh, is the is the YouTube uh, uh, playing yes, it's live? live? It's, it's live. live. Okay. As of a couple of weeks ago. So imagine you're a YouTube creator, and let's say that you're um, teaching concepts about artificial intelligence. And if someone watched your whole channel, there's 70 hours of learning to code or, or learning concepts of AI or, or learning, uh, you know, complicated math or something. But you have this, you have this huge catalog that again is either the equivalent of anything in a college or better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you could then offer your, what you've done, your corpus of, of work as something that people could get credentialed through and say, I went through Brian's entire AI course, all 70 hours. And so as a creator, this is a way to uh, um, get value of the back, back catalog is, is reductive. But as a creator, I know that that's incredibly valuable. Yes. But also it, it, it creates a stickiness and a sort of, um, you know, um, a, a community around work that you've done. Well, there's two important points there. One is... First of all, just identify your super fans. Mm-hmm. Like just whenever you write a Substack post, you put a Medium post up, you put mm-hmm. your next YouTube uh, video up, just have a badge generated by Redocracy you can embed in the page mm-hmm. that says, if you've consumed more than this, I have a whole, I've, I've, I've uh, accumulated it through this list in Redocracy. Mm-hmm. If you have worked your way through it, I would love to give you this badge and give mm-hmm. you special access, a discussion that mm-hmm. is only accessible to people who have done it. Redocracy can tell. Right. And so that's really powerful. The other way, which is more like, macro and why this is so important for you know a huge issue in society right now is how do we justify quality journalism 
because it's always losing compared to the most inflammatory, insane stuff. Mm -hmm. And even the quality stuff gets pulled in the direction of like a race to the bottom. Right. And so ultimately, I mean, we spent two years kind of leading into Redocracy, learning a lot about the media space and working with, with media companies as well. And ultimately journalism, quality journalism, as much as it pains me to say this, the fact is it's a nice to have. You do it for your own responsibility, your own satisfaction. That's why you pay the money or spend the time. You don't get anything formal the vast majority of the time. And so what would happen if quality content was now able to be attached to reputation with formal outcomes? That gives a distinct advantage to quality content where it becomes a vector for identity. Mm -hmm. And so at that point in time, and this comes back to it, if you have an amazing YouTube show, if you write incredible things... Um, we're going to be working with podcasts soon as well, like in terms of even mm -hmm. if you don't have a video. Right, right. Th this is something that should count for something, both in terms of you recognizing your fans and being able to great build a community around that for the people who really know their shit and will have the best possible conversation. Mm -hmm. But also, how does this map? Like, you're putting value out in the world because you know something yeah. and you've committed to it. How are able, people able to show that? Right. Well, and as a perfect example, I know there are people listening that have listened to all 1,400 episodes of this show. And <laughs> I've, I've said before, and I'm kind of joking, but kind of not, that like if you listen to six months of this show, you kind of be qualified to get a job at a VC firm. Mm. <laughs> Maybe not become a VC and jump right in right away, but like you would have good knowledge of where the industry is at, the tech industry is at right now. Yeah, yeah. So imagine you listening right now, and you know you've listened to all fourteen hundred <laughs> episodes. Uh, there would uh, a badge could say, "Hey, this person is fairly up to date on the tech industry." And, and again, it's not just Redocracy saying it would be there would be a QR code right. that is in their LinkedIn that right. is in their resume. If they want to put it in there, right. that when they trigger it, it pulls up a page immediately that shows all your episodes. The, but like the data, like the number of time spent on each, there are no... Exactly. So in the same way there. that the original Google algorithm was based on, you know, the concept of the citations in academic papers. And so if if the internet or the, the, the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast is leveled up by Readocracy for being um, a venue of expert knowledge, mm -hmm. and then the, the, in the same way that the Google... Page juice uh, <laughs> says what is the authentic or the the authoritative site. The same thing would happen yep. would accrue to 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 that knowledge yep. base and then to the people that have done the whole yep. <laughs> nine yep. yards. Yeah, yeah. And and by the way, again, when we talk about like okay, how do we make the internet better? Mm. Again, when we d distinguish between the cat videos and the super informative, mm. like don't get me wrong, really informative stuff should be entertaining if it's good. Mm. Entertaining stuff should be informative. But the bottom line is, right now the scrape the barrel, get your attention, high volume stuff has a way of monetizing and incentivizing. Mm -hmm. So they have a way of rising in the ranks. The good stuff doesn't. So this is a way of saying, hey, there is another way to get value here that you can optimize for. And the neat thing about it is that, by the way, the, the shitty stuff, like the attention grabbers, that can't work with the system. Mm -hmm. So they suddenly have their own counter incentive to be like, oh shit, like, well, am I going to do this? Or am I going to choose this path that allows me to do like high value audiences, high value partnerships, credentials, all this stuff. Let me let me incept um mind incept something to any um media brands out there. Imagine you could charge a higher CPM because a trusted uh system tells people that you have higher quality content. Um so even though we're not we're we're trying to get away from the world of of monetizing through yeah. ads. Yeah. Just just a just a thought. I, I one of our partners actually so we 
and we forbid this, we, you can't use our data to target people. Um, but we're open, for example, if you have an ethical media alliance that only wants to work with publishers who do not inflame and only put out quality ads that are not trying to grab your attention, hey, mm. if we can help you know, say that this is higher quality and these people are more committed, we're happy to support that. Not all, ad- not all advertising is evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a reason for it. It's not like it's going to disappear completely. But so, you know, we're open to that kind of thing, totally. And also, if you're a media brand out there, by the way, to add to the inception, um, what would it mean if somebody shows up on your site and a little thing appears saying, like, thanks for reading these first two articles. You are eight away from getting access to a VP- VIP discussion. You should keep coming back. Right, right. Um, okay, before we uh, wrap this up, you wanted me to come back around to information diets. Have we yes. hit that? Yes. Or? So, so at the very top, I said there's kind of when we don't value. Um, you said also when we don't value uh, how we spend our time. One side is the opportunity, and I promise we won't go this long on this side as if you know it's the mm. second half. Mm. But the other side is that it's dangerous. Um, something we've been popularizing. I just spoke in Washington on this. Um, again, some partnerships you can't name, but fairly high profile, hopefully coming soon. Um, You can draw a very tight parallel between the obesity epidemic Mm. and uh, the dysfunction of how we were feeding ourselves and the systemic nature of it, like, you know, the lack of regulation around ingredient labels, nutrition labels, all that stuff. Um, You can map that very tightly to what I would say is an infobesity epidemic Mm -hmm. with the issue of how we feed our minds. Mm -hmm. And so right now, the fact of the matter is that if I give anybody, like anybody who's listening, like if you had an hour and I have two, like in each hand, I have like uh, a burger and a, and a set of vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, what are you going to eat right now? So many things are immediately going to come to your mind that instinctively would make you lean one way or another. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with burgers, but at least you have a framework and a set of ideas to immediately think of. If instead with that hour, we replace the food and I put like super saucy, tantalizing, misinformation, clickbait, celebrity mm-hmm. tabloid mm-hmm. gossip mm-hmm. on one hand. And the other one, I have like a few amazing long form timeless pieces from experts right now you give that to somebody online you make you that opportunity there is literally no consequence or reward mm. right like why should they care right they're not going to be judged the experience is invisible mm-hmm. they'll disappear into the ether they have no data about it there's no reason to care mm-hmm. so and the problem is we're in a system that is definitely designed to make you lean for the burger mm-hmm. you know informationally yeah. yep. And also to not make you think about it. Right. Like gorge yourself. It's like a buffet. You're out of hours a day, like consume, consume, consume. And so the other side of this is, you know, the mindlessness with which we consume, in our opinion, is upstream of so many of the issues you see in society. Like whether it's the ease with which misinformation spreads, because you're like completely mindless. You're not thinking. There's no friction. Why would you care? Mm-hmm. Um, the ease with which you can like agitate people. And then just like how, you know, truth disappears basically again under all this so like downstream from these things whether you're afraid of what's happening with democracy you know misinformation you said at the, at the top of the show like this is something where it's not just about how we signal trust outwardly but it's also about our mental health um and and like the sanity we have as a society basically depends on us also you know in the same way we're equipped to think more mindfully about how we feed ourselves you know, physically, how do we feed ourselves mentally and having the framework and the thinking and the data mm-hmm. to think around that. Right. And that's really important. And, and by the way, like I'm, I'm super excited because this is something we, we've just solidified over the past month. We're going to be working with some of the top researchers in the U.S. And so by next year, we should be the only platform that can actually prove that we reduce your anxiety and, 
indicators of depression because of like the news overload. I mean, how many times are you talking to somebody like I've stopped reading the news? I'm like, this, this so is too you're much. you're saying that you're also you think that this is a a, a tool for fighting doom scrolling is what you're saying. And, and yeah, the, and the, I I don't I don't want to turn on my phone in the morning because I don't want to be depressed. Right. We will. I'll drop a little teaser here. I won't get into details, but we will let you take control of the algorithm. Mm-hmm. Everything we're doing until now has been kind of reactive. We're going to help you get proactive as well. Um, doom scrolling. It's, I don't know if that was deliberate or not, but the, uh, a few weeks ago, you may have seen in the Guardian an article uh, about doom scrolling and the impacts on mental health by a researcher. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be working with them and their team. Mm-hmm. Just one of the folks we're working mm-hmm. with. So. Um, yeah, it's, you know, one of our early partnerships actually is with a employee benefits platform. So it's quite likely that some of your listeners, if they go into the employee benefits side of their workplace, they may see Redocracy list as one of the benefits. Yeah, I'd name the names, but um, <laughs> trust me, uh, if you're listening, uh, there's some of you that are working at these companies. Uh, yeah. So, um, and then one other thing, I'm just going to jam it in here because I know it, it, it seems like we've, oh, well, we're going to, we're going to fix this. We're going to solve for this. But one more thing is is people, and this this you don't even have to have a comment on this. This is just me thinking about it. But like, people that want to do things like create these next generation education platforms, you see a lot of it for like these these coding schools and things like that. But there's other things out there that are trying to blow up sort mm-hmm. of the monopoly that higher mm-hmm. education has had. Yep. Um, <clears throat> like this is a way around. What is essentially the the rubber stamp credentialing? Mm-hmm. Um, because you know those of us that have been to college, even at the best colleges, there are some shitty courses and some <laughs> shitty classes. Mm-hmm. And so, on the one hand, the way to the way to fix, as we said earlier, um, to, to democ- democratize education is to you know is to break down the ivory tower. Mm-hmm. But the other way to do it is to create a platform of incentives to have these alternative ivory towers be taken seriously. Yes. And that, to me, is one of the most exciting things, is the democratization of, again, to use my example of that insane uh, AI um, YouTube page that's out there Mm -hmm. that is doing better work than you could maybe get at MIT, um, leveling the playing field so that, that that... sort of learning um, is could be as value. And the discussions around that having value in themselves being credentialed mm-hmm. when you talk to other people who know what they're mm-hmm. talking about. And, and again, I, this is not to say like, oh, we're, com- we're coming for colleges. Right, 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 right. Like we partner with them. That's we why I'm saying you didn't yeah. have to comment. That's yeah, my yeah, comment. Yeah, yes, yeah. 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 Um, there's, a, there's a way where everybody wins here. And we're very partnerships first. We're very win-win in, the, in our approach. This is how we'd like to think we're fundamentally, fundamentally different also from... You know, I think the reputation big tech has acquired. Um, and so we, you know, we're going to be a platform of platforms. We're going to have APIs, which like we've been built as a series of cascading APIs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, that's kind of how we think about so it. So if I'm just a listener and I want to find out about Redocracy and get involved that way, where do I go and what do I download? Mm-hmm. Uh, go to redocracy.com. Uh, spelled as you think it would be, reading and democracy or meritocracy. Uh, and then uh, join the wait list, which is mm-hmm. still there. But if you say you heard about it here, yes. you'll get immediate access. Yes. We'll do that yes. for you. Um, also, I think I'll put a collection together, which I'll give to you, and maybe you can sure. attach somewhere Absolutely. that has like background reading and like right. all sorts of cool things we think about on the things we talked about. We can credential that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and also, we are um, fundraising. 
Mm. Um, and so, if you want to help usher in a smarter world, a less insane uh, internet and society, uh, and you like what we're putting down, we would uh, love to have you involved. Uh, we're looking for people who are thinking big and are mission aligned. Um, and we want more people in our little alliance here. Uh, if there's any investors, uh, obviously you can reach out to Mario directly. You can reach out to me too, and I'll put you in touch with them. But I'll also give you the background on having worked with him um, for uh, over a year now. Um, but also, what if I'm a um, uh, an employer or mm. an institution yes. of higher learning yeah. that, that wants to find out and get involved in this platform. So obviously. that would be an idea, a really good time to get involved because again, I can't name the names. I can if you reach out to me personally, but there are some really exciting initiatives going on uh, in Canada, but especially in the U.S. Uh, um, and in certain, and in some cases, UK, but definitely U.S. Uh, where uh, working, if you're a professor, if you're a VP uh, at an academic institution, it doesn't have to be a college university. Also, high schools. Uh, that you're interested either in improving critical thinking, if you care about media literacy, information literacy, mental health, and just like a new way of thinking about credentials and kind of giving your students an edge, mm -hmm. yes, please talk to us because it is the perfect time to do so. Okay, Mario, thanks for coming on. I, one of the things I always say is to anybody that we invest in, like come and use this when you want and how you want. So I, I, I do want to say when I'm saying that, oh, you know, I've been working with Mario for a year now, um, but he's only coming on now. The reason for that is because it wasn't a good time yet. Yeah. Um, but he, this was one of the first investments that the fund made and um, continues to be one that I'm super excited about. So really appreciate it, Brian. It's been uh, been a pleasure working together. And I think this is also I'm glad I came on now because, as you know, I was just presenting in Washington. All these things are happening. And I think there will be a lot more to talk about soon. Well, then when you come back, uh, we will get a, a We'll be filled in on all of the <laughs> exciting stuff. Thanks, Mario. Thank you.